and welcome to the Worcester Talking newspaper, recorded on Thursday the 16th of November 2017, by kind permission of the editor of the Worcester News. Your team this week are Moira, Duncan, Paddy, Julie and Janet. As normal, we have this week's headlines, thoughts for the day, birthdays, deaths and letters to the editor. We've also got the lighting up times this week, which are 4.15 to 7.32. OK, I'll start off with the... Deaths, I'm afraid. Um, Frederick Sidney Clark, also known as Fred, retired highways worker, passed away peacefully at Henwick Grange Nursing Home on October the 18th after a short illness aged 59 years. Mm-hmm. Michael Pecker Woodward, the family of Michael are heartbroken to announce his passing on November the 1st with his loved ones at his side. Phyllis Mary Glazard passed away peacefully on October the 28th, aged 83 years. <coughs> Lawrence Gordon Holden of Kemsey passed away peacefully on November the 2nd, aged 87 years. Uh, funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, November the 24th at 2.30. Peter Douglas Smith passed away peacefully in his home on October the 21st, Frank Samuel Bowen passed away November the 3rd, aged 81. William Charles Roberts, retired Liam Perrin's manager, passed away on November the 7th, aged 83 years. Wendy Marilyn Mann, named Morris, passed away peacefully on October the 31st, aged 70 years. Her funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, November the 20th at 1pm. Sally Jane Lewis sadly passed away on October the 27th, aged 55. Nellie Doreen Bateman passed away peacefully in the care of the Lawns Nursing Home on October the 31st, aged 90 years. She will be greatly missed by all who knew and loved her. Clive John Insull of Martin Hussingtree passed away in hospital on October the 30th, aged 73. His funeral service is at St Michael and All Angels Church, Martin Hussingtree, on Wednesday, November the 22nd at 9.30, followed by interment at the churchyard. Raymond Charles Bennett, known as Ray, following an earlier announcement that Ray had passed away, Nora and family wish to confirm that the funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the 22nd at 2.30pm. Eileen Veronica Curtis of Lower Wick, passed away peacefully at home on Thursday, November the 2nd, aged 72 years. Funeral service at St George's Catholic Church on Wednesday, November the 22nd at 12 noon. Brian Henry Small passed away peacefully aged 80 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the 22nd at 10am. David Hugh Main passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on November the 3rd. A lot of deaths this week. Um, Patricia or Pat Ledley passed away peacefully at the Lawns Nursing Home Kemsey on, on November the 27th. So I think that's either going to be the second or the, or the seventh, in fairness, aged 81 years. November the 27th. Yeah, it's like mis, misprint, we think. Um, Mavis Marion passed away peacefully on November the 2nd at Perry Manor Care Home, aged 90 years. 
funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 23rd at 1.45. Angelina, or Anne Hubbard, passed away peacefully on November the 1st, aged 93 years. Desmond William Wall, known as Jim, passed away peacefully on November the 5th at aged 91 years. We've got some good ages here, haven't we? John Firkins, on November the 1st, 2017, peacefully at home, aged 79 years. And unusually, we've got a birth. Um, Stanley Walsh, Emma and Dan, November the 8th, congratulations on the birth of Caleb Anthony, a little brother for Daniel, Kian and Albie. Lots of love, nannies Julian, Heidi, Grandad Jay, Grandad Mark and Jill. So you don't normally have any of those, do we? Exactly. Okay, today's thought for the day is from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Okay, so just to give you a, a bit of a flavour for the headlines then. Friday, November the 10th was Drugs Den Showdown. Saturday, November the 11th, Left to Suffer. Monday, November the 13th, Families B&B Hell. Tuesday, November the 14th, A Hot Spot of Violent Crime. Wednesday, November the 15th, we'll target drug dens. And Thursday, and today's is clown mask raid case thrown out. So here's Paddy with your headlines. And mine is the drugs den. A drugs den has been closed and the nuisance tenants evicted. And now neighbours are planning a party to celebrate. Police secured a court order on Thursday to close the drugs house in Team Road, Toledine, Worcester. Within hours of the order being granted, the windows and doors of the squalid upstairs flat were behind heavy-duty steel shutters as neighbours look forward to peace and quiet from those who use, and in some cases deal, heroin and crack cocaine. Inside the flat was evidence of the use of heroin, including a used syringe and spoon, as well as empty cans and piles of dirty clothes strewn everywhere. The landlord, who attended with police and did not wish to be named, said he hoped he could one day get a law-abiding tenant to live there. He added, I hope this sends a message that the private landlords will cooperate with the police to try and rid the scourge of Class A drugs. The flat will be closed for at least three months after West Mercia police were inundated with calls about the drugs. I suppose everybody was desperate. Oh, yeah. And antisocial behaviour and assaults, including a stabbing. PC Robert Elton taped the order inside and outside the flat and delivered leaflets explaining to neighbours what had happened. Anyone who tries to get back in, apart from the landlord and the police, can be arrested. The effect of the order is that the two people living there, a 52-year-old man and a 49-year-old woman, cannot return to that address. 
Neighbours Gary Ryder, 54, who's a taxi driver, and his partner Julie Cliff, 42, said they'd suffered lack of sleep because of constant noise, including banging, car horns, arguments and fights, which had led to his car being damaged. He said there's going to be a party on Saturday night to celebrate. It'll be nice to get a good night's sleep. Mr Ryder, who's lived the last 17, there for the last 17 years, said the disturbance had not been fair on his partner, who had to get up at 4am to go to work. He added, PC Robert Elton is one of the best. I would say if you're fair with him, he's fair with you. He's a good copper. I don't usually like them, but he's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like they're all in good company. Miss Cliff added, I feel relieved and I'm looking forward to some peace and quiet. Sergeant Simon Hallam of the Safer Neighbourhood Team said the property has been used as a drug house whereby the occupants have been allowing numerous other individuals, including drug users and alcoholics, to use it. Some of the incidents have included serious assaults, criminal damage and drugs activities. An assault had occurred, has occurred with the use of a weapon, which is a knife, and officers and paramedics have been called to drug overdoses at the property. Property CI, Priority CID, part of West Mercia, were involved in a warrant at the flat on November the 6th, and three people were arrested, two of which, uh, neither of whom were the tenants, were arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to supply crack cocaine and heroin. Charges have now been authorised against them by the Crown Prosecution Services. No charges have been brought against the man who had been living at the address and the woman remains under investigation. Worcester City Council has been notified and it is understood they have found somewhere else to live in the meantime. Got help my neighbours. <laughs> The closure order uses relatively recent legislation from the Antisocial Behaviour, Crime and Policing Act of 2014, which can be employed when people living at the address or associated with it have been engaged in disorder or criminal behaviour, and where the use of premises has resulted in serious nuisance to members of the public. The order was sought after what Sergeant Hallam described as the escalation and increasing severity of the incidents, of which 18 have been reported since January, along with other intelligence reports. He added, this address itself is evidence of the impact one such premises can have on the wider community. It's a last resort because we potentially make people homeless it is not a step that's taken lightly. However, he said there'd be many warnings about what would happen if the behaviour continued. West Mercy Police relies on information from the public about drug dealing and drug use. So if you've any information, you can call them on their non-emergency number 101. That's it. Mm. Yes. Left to suffer, severe funding cuts, letting down teenagers with alcoholic parents, is um, Saturday's headline. Severe funding cuts are letting down around 6,200 teenagers across the Worcestershire. 
whose lives are being damaged by their parents' alcoholic abuse, a charity chief has warned. 3,000 families with children aged 10 to 17 from across the UK took part in the Children's Society, also known as TCS, survey, which found that around 1,000 children from Worcester alone were living with parents who abuse alcohol. Matthew Reed, TCS Chief Executive, said, <coughs> At a time when demand for council children's services is rising, severe funding cuts from central government are leaving um, more and more to deal with these huge problems alone. In light of its findings, TCS is calling on the government to urgently address the two billion funding gap for local council children's services um, in the upcoming autumn budget. The funding earmarks Sorry, funding earmarks for children, families and communities by Worcestershire County Council was cut by 2.1 million earlier this year, down from 84.2 in 2016-2017 budget to 8.2 million in 2017-2018. Sorry, I can't get me millions mixed up. As cuts to children's services like these bite, the early intervention services that could identify struggling young people and provide targeting support have shrunk across the UK, say TCS. However, the Worcester County Council's Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing has moved to reassure those affected that reduction of alcohol harm remains a major priority for the council. Councillor John Smith said, the county council works closely with all partners including local health services, social care, schools and voluntary sectors to identify and support parents with substance misuse and mental health issues. This includes engaging them in specialist treatment to reduce the impact of substance abuse and mental health, ill health on their children and families. In addition, all service users in treatment are required to share information about their parenting responsibilities with the aim of preventing harm and improving outcome for children and young people. Councillor Smith went on to say that robust mechanisms are in place to provide targeted help and support to children, young people and their families and to refer to specialist substance misuse or mental health services when required. He said the reduction of alcohol harm is one of three major priorities in the Council's joint health and wellbeing strategy. We have an evidence-based action plan to tackle this focusing on prevention and early intervention. We are holding an alcohol stakeholder event next week which will highlight alcohol harms and showcase some of the work we are doing, he added. TCS analysis of its findings demonstrate that the problems teenagers face are rarely standalone, but interwoven with other serious issues. Almost a quarter of teenagers, 23%, from homes plagued by alcohol misuse we're also taking on caring responsibilities at home 
likely to include domestic chores, taking care of siblings or nursing parents suffering from withdrawal. Adult mental health problems, 59%, and long-standing illness or disability, 44%, were also commonplace in these homes, indicating that adults may be self-medicating with alcohol to cope with these and other stresses in the family. Millions of teenagers in the UK are suffering in silence with problems that would floor an adult, said Mr Reid. Specialist services working with families to combat problem drinking support for teenagers whose parent has mental ill health or safe spaces for them to go when pressures at home mount are becoming even harder to find. Without support at an early stage as problems emerge, these families can quickly reach crisis points and the risks for the children involved grows, he added. Well, you're chopping the funding, you know. So it's got to give, hasn't it? Exactly. Okay, Monday's headline then is Families B&B Hell. A mum of three who claims she has been forced to live in a bed and breakfast with her family for six months has said the temporary solution is breaking us apart. Tina Louise Monk, 42, was living with her children at her partner's home before he was evicted and Worcester City Council moved all five of them into the Barbourne Guest House, Barbourne Road. It's nearly Christmas, and considering they can only allow kids in a B&B for no more than six weeks, and it's been six months, she said. The council don't seem to be doing anything. They haven't paid any housing benefit where we are at the moment. Miss Monk said her partner went to the council the day he was evicted, and the family were quickly moved into the temporary accommodation. Since then, she has registered under her own name on the council's Home Choice Plus, HCP, online system, to bid for housing association properties every Tuesday. About three or four weeks after we were moved to the B&B, we registered in my name, as I've got no evictions. We thought it would be easier because of his rent arrears, she said, but she has so far had no luck bidding on homes throughout the system. For the last week, I've bid on one property, but for the last two weeks, there's been nothing in Worcester. Ms Monk, who last month started a job as a cleaner in the city, said her three children aged 16, 14 and 11 all go to Worcester schools. My 16-year-old son is at the age where he can't move to a school out of the city. He's in the final stages and it would not be ideal. Ms Monk's partner is not currently in work, but she said if he was to find a full-time job, the £13 weekly fee they pay to remain in their current accommodation would go up and they would struggle to afford it. The bedsit has only two rooms with no cooking facilities, meaning the family eat out every night. Oh, poor things. <laughs> Ms Monk said the situation is putting strain on the family. A spokesman for WCC, so Worcester City Council, admitted, when providing temporary solutions for the homeless, it is a legal requirement for families with children to only stay in bed and breakfast accommodation for up to six weeks. The council works hard to try to avoid longer stays, but the reality faced by most local authorities is that there are not enough suitable properties in the local area for the number of households on their waiting lists, he said. He went on to say, WCC works proactively with all families who have the misfortune to find themselves homeless. If necessary, we secure temporary accommodation for the family and then work with them to help find permanent accommodation. This involves helping them look at the range of housing options open to them, 
including housing association properties available through the City Council and also private rented housing. So how come then, if it's only six weeks, they've been there six months with three children? Angel Street is the centre of Worcester, is a hot spot of violent crime, says a report from Worcester County Council. The area has a high rate of alcohol-related crimes, including assaults and public order offences, a large number of dangerously intoxicated individuals and a large number of young people being taken to hospital, especially between midnight on Saturday and 5am on Sunday. Angel Street is also one of the worst locations in the city for litter, says the report from the Council's Health and Wellbeing Service. The report was produced in response to an application from Amber Taverns, which wants to convert a former supermarket in the street into one of its Hogarth Gin Palace venues. We need to know what done there, don't we? That help the problem quite considerably. The company applied to Worcester City Council both for planning permission and for a licence to operate the premises. In September, the Council's 11 licensing committee... No, just licensing committee, sorry, uh, rejected the licensing bid and now the planning application has also been turned down. Angel Street is within Worcester's cumulative impact zone because of the large number of pubs, clubs and late night food outlets in the immediate vicinity. Between January 2016 and June 2017, 464 crimes were recorded for Angel Street, 177 were for assault. Between July 2016 and July 2017, ambulances picked up 115 patients. Some of the most frequent reasons cited in the call-outs were local alcohol alcohol-related or overdose trauma and unconscious. The city also has a much greater density of premises licensed to sell alcohol when compared to the West Midlands generally. The County Council's report also quotes the city pastor team which sends out volunteers on weekend nights to help young people in distress. We regularly help loan vulnerable individuals who've been abandoned by their friends or partners, ensuring they're able to get home safely, said the pastor's report. Occasionally this requires paramedic assistance for those who are dangerously intoxicated. Angel Street also tends to be a hotspot for violent crime. Angel Street and Angel Place are probably the worst streets within the city for littering, with food cartons, wrappers, foodstuff, bottles, and cans, and I should say pigeons. Along the pavement of the road. The volume of vehicles using Angel Street and Angel Place, the bus station, and the neighbouring streets poses a risk to pedestrians, especially those struggling with their coordination from excessive alcohol consumption. News of the refusal has been welcomed by the Cathedral Ward Councillor, Lynn Denham, 
who said, I'm pleased to see that Hogarth's gin palace would not be coming to Worcester. Whilst we would all like to see regeneration and improvements in Angel Street, it needs to be the right offer which will have a positive impact on city life. Pity they don't make the supermarket into temporary accommodation for these poor souls. Exactly. I mean, it, it would yeah. take uh, no doubt. Uh, I suppose we should uh, be running the place. Mm. Mm. So I'm glad there's no gym mm. palace because I don't like gin. Mm. I don't even know what gym palace is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm showing you they just sell a lot of gin. <laughs> You'd know about that, Paddy. Do they sell a lot? Oh, yes, I'll. Yeah, all yeah, the time. Wednesday, November the 15th, headline, Will Target Drug Dens? Police Chief's message to dealers after closing heroin and crack cocaine hideout. This is, is, follow- this is following on <laughs> from uh, Monday. Police have issued a stern message to drug dealers and users in Worcester after closing a heroin and crack cocaine den and evicting the tenants. Inspector Tanya Beckett of Worcester Safer Neighbourhood Team and Drugs Houses would be oh sorry said Drugs Houses would be targeted and shut down as public as police continue to battle the problem in the city. This follows officers from West Mercia Police raiding and closing down a drug house in Team Row, Tolodyne, on Thursday, as reported by the Worcester News. The flat managed by a private landlord was placed behind heavy metal shutters, leading to positive comments by neighbours, some of whom planned a party to celebrate their newfound peace and quiet. Inside was discovered grim evidence of drug-taking, including used syringe, a tie-off and a spoon for cooking heroin. Police said the closure order was a last resort after previous warnings to tenants from officers. Inspector Beckett said these closure powers could and would be used in future where necessary to protect communities. The main impact is on the community and the residents. It's horrible for them, she said, where houses, where drugs are sold and or taken. This is a very positive result, she added, referring to the successful raid enclosure. Inspector Beckett said police would not hesitate to work with other partners, including housing associations and private landlords, to use these new powers to tackle drug use and associated antisocial behaviour in the future where appropriate. Inspector Beckett said it is another way to attack the scourge of drugs. Within hours of the order being granted, the windows and doors of the squalid upstairs flat in Team Road were behind heavy-duty steel shutters as neighbours looked forward to peace and quiet. West Mercia Police acted on information that heroin and crack cocaine were being used in some cases being supplied from that address. The flat will be closed for at least three months after West Mercia was inundated with calls about drugs, antisocial behaviour and assaults either at or near the premises. One such report involved stabbing. It is repeating itself, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The closure order uses relatively recent legislation from the Antisocial Behaviour, Crime and Policing Act 2014. The order had to be sought from the magistrate's court before police and their partners could get to work on shutting up the den. 
and the move has been largely well received by Worcester news readers. Writing in our website comment section, no nickname said, about time this place was shut down. Those who wish to report drug activity can contact West Mercia Police on 101. Okay. So today's headline then, clown mask raid case thrown out. Armed robbery suspects accused of raiding a garage wearing clown masks have had the case against them thrown out for lack of evidence. Kane Cooper, Brandon Ellsmore and Ryan McGoldrick had formal not guilty verdicts returned at Worcester Crown Court after the Crown Prosecution Service decided it did not have enough evidence to proceed. The three suspects were arrested as part of an investigation into a robbery at Euro Garage in Worcester Road, Great Whitley, at around 3am on Tuesday, August the 1st. Two men were alleged to have threatened a member of staff using a crowbar, demanding money and cigarettes. Cooper, aged 19, of Meriden Road, Wolverhampton, Brandon Ellsmore, aged 19, of St Anne's Road, Wolverhampton, and McCaldrick of Probert Road, Oxley, Wolverhampton, appeared before recorder Sally Hancocks yesterday. Charles Hamer prosecuting said the robbers were wearing masks so could not be identified. He said this was a very serious allegation where the young woman who was in charge of the service station in the middle of the night was confronted by two men in masks. There is CCTV evidence of that. This was a real robbery in old-fashioned terms. A mask matching the description of those used in the robbery was found in the flat of one of the defendants. However, Mr Hamer said, there's nothing to say it was definitely associated with that robbery incident. There's no DNA evidence, there's no cell site analysis, so that's mobile phone evidence. The Crown have no evidence to present to the court. Mr Hamer had first asked for an adjournment, but formally offered no evidence, after Recorder Hancock said the case must be dealt with that day. The Recorder said, It's important that those who are accused have the same swift and thorough service as those who complain. Absolutely. Mm. I'm unhappy to allow one week. I'm unhappy to allow beyond today. Mr Heyman returned after making further inquiries with the Crown Prosecution Service to formally offer no evidence and the recorder entered not guilty pleas on behalf of all three defendants. Superintendent Kevin Purcell, policing commander for South Worcestershire, said Whilst it's often frustrating when matters go to court and they're not progressed, I fully understand the need for evidence to be tested and proved beyond reasonable doubt. At the end of all incidents like this are victims and we will continue to do our best to support the victim. He added officers would not be carrying out a further investigation into anyone at this stage. And then there's a a bit at the end that says all three defendants are charged with possessing a controlled drug of Class A cocaine with intent to supply. McGoldrick and Cooper are charged with assault, uh, occasioning actual bodily harm, and Cooper is also charged with common assault. The defendants deny these offences and will stand trial at Worcester Crown Court on January the 15th. Well, let's help. There's a little bit more evidence for that one then. Okay, that's your headline. So here's Paddy with the stories. It's not all bad news. I've got a, a nice piece about Sophie, Countess of Wessex. Oh. <clears throat> Royalty visited Worcester when Sophie, the Countess of Wessex, officially opened the new breast cancer haven of the city's hospital. Mm. But 
the Countess, who arrived by helicopter just after midday, spent the afternoon touring the state-of-the-art breast unit at Worcestershire Royal, meeting with guests before unveiling a commemorative plaque. Speaking of the new unit, the man behind the facility, consultant breast surgeon Stephen Thrush, said, when I first set out, the service was not what it should be, and what we had tried to achieve, what we have achieved, is a service that offers comfort through a difficult time. Kate Butler, 41, and Susie Coleman, 39, are former patients of the unit and raised £100,000 towards the course, and they spoke to the Countess during her tour. Miss Butler described her afterwards as lovely, really down-to-earth. The Breast Cancer Haven Service, which operates one day a week from the unit, consists of free support to help relieve the physical and emotional side that affects a breast cancer diagnosis. Speaking at the unveiling, the Countess, who is president of Breast Cancer Campaign Haven's Guardian Programme, said if the unit really just helps any individual feel more confident about where they are and what has happened, and hopefully means that what is otherwise not a great experience is the best one can get. For us as a small charity, we wish that we had all the money in the world to create a haven in every town and city in the country. Sadly, we can't do that, but for us to become more become more agile and be actually providing this service here is really a dream for us. Following a successful appeal, the £1.8 million unit was opened in March 2016, offering a comprehensive service under one roof for women and men across the county for all breast-related issues. Genevieve Thrush, the daughter of Stephen Thrush, gave the count a bouquet of flowers just before her departure. She then visited St Paul's Hostel in Tallow Hill, where she listened to poetry readings, learnt more about the work it carries out to help those who have experienced trauma and how the organisation supports people through homelessness. St Paul's Hospital is celebrating its 40th anniversary. And it's, it's a wonderful place, I think, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finished. <laughs> <coughs> the uh, <laughs> pleasure to read something. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Right, last week we launched Worcester Legends, a profile of the ordinary people who make our city such a great place to live due to their passion, dedication, and kindness. And this is an expiring footballer's look up to coach Matt. Um, Football coach Matt Talley was among the first people to be nominated as a Worcester legend. Mr Talley, 34, has helped to develop hundreds of young, expiring footballers since becoming an amateur coach a couple of years ago, with many going on to be signed to youth academies. Nominated by his wife, Louise, one of Mr Talley's proudest achievements is seeing the couple's nine-year-old son, Josh, sign a contract with Aston Villa, mm. having coached him himself. Wow. That's good news. Mm. Matt ferries him to Bodymore Heath to train every Tuesday and Thursday evening and Saturday morning and to play a game on a Sunday 
said Mrs Tully. You would think that was enough for anyone to do, but despite all of this, he makes time to coach nearly every evening. Mr Tully trains Worcester-based City Juniors under-9s team on a Friday night, as well as a coaching Monday as well as coaching Monday evening sessions with children ranging in age from 3 to 12 years. He also does one-to-one sessions and invite-only football development sessions for the kids who are really talented, said Mrs Tally, who admits her husband would love to take up coaching professionally one day. Having been a talented footballer himself, but never having been signed to an academy, Mrs Tully said he is over the moon that Josh has taken the extra step. His knees are are knackered now, but having a son and introducing him to the game he loves was just as good, she said. He can see that Josh has some of the same traits as he did. They are both defenders and both captains, but he's always said, Josh is a lot better than I ever was. Josh joined City Juniors at the age of six and his dad got involved soon after, having never coached before. Mrs Tully said many of the parents thought her husband would leave the team along with Josh, who could no longer play due to his commitments at Villa. A lot of the parents were shocked he decided to carry on. That's unusual. Most coaches get involved because their son is in a team. I think everyone thought he would go, but he adores those boys. Adores those boys. He's had them since they were seven, and quite a few have gone on to play for Cheltenham Academy. Lots of that is down to him. The parents all love him too, because of his passion and dedication. Asked what sort of coach her husband is, Mrs Tally said, he is very fun, but is very strict. If they are not putting the effort in, but the kids adore him. He knows how to get the best out of them and properly puts them through their paces. Every session they know they are going to work hard. Mr Tully owns a carpet fitting business with a friend and with coaching taking up much of his free time, Mrs Tully said we are often like ships in the night. The couple have four children in total including Josh, Jesse 11, Josie 6 and Jazz 3. The Jays. Mm. With Jesse, a talented swimmer who trains during the week too. Along with Josh, who often gives demonstrations at his dad's sessions, Jesse also helps out with the register, while Mrs Tally and Josie and Jazz go along to the matches. It's a bit of a family affair, said Mrs Tally. Matt puts in hour after hour, and when he gets home, he's absolutely knackered. He really puts a lot into this, and I think he'll secretly be very pleased to be in the paper. That's quite nice, yeah, isn't it? it? A nice. Yeah. Well, now you've had two nice stories. It's back to business as usual, I'm afraid. Sorry. Sorry. Um, An infuriated resident has urged people to not leave anything unattended in their cars after a series of break-ins. A resident of Sydney Street, Worcester, had a laptop and an iPhone stolen after thieves broke into his car during a spate of thefts. The man, who wanted to remain anonymous, told the Worcester News, I feel infuriated. My car was locked and parked right outside my property. There aren't any marks or scratches to show how they might have got in. It looks like they're working their way along the canal. There are three or four other cars in the street that were broken into last night. That was Monday. It's very worrying that this is happening and I would urge people not to leave anything valuable in the car. 
The residents said that cars were broken into between 8pm on Monday and 6am on Tuesday. A number of cars were also broken into between 8pm on Thursday and the early hours of Friday morning in the Arboretum area of the city. A brown leather briefcase, a laptop, stationery and charging cables were stolen from one Honda CRV car in Gregory's Bank. Another car in the same road, a Nissan Duke, was broken into and a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses and a pushchair were stolen. In nearby Goodrest Walk, Pandora jewellery and Harry Potter items were stolen from a Volvo XC90 car. And in Wilfred Close, a Kia Sportage car was entered but nothing was reported stolen. Two cars in Bishop's Avenue were also broken into during the raid with a laptop, work, books and documents and a black Jeep rucksack taken from one of the vehicles but nothing reported stolen from the other car. Anyone with information should call 101, quoting incident number 0171S101117. Well, you, you can't help wondering if people aren't inviting thieves, can you? Don't leave valuables in your car. Now, good news for parking. Extra parking will be created for staff who will work at a new community health block near Worcester's Hospital. Health chiefs want to demolish two buildings to make space for the new parking at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital Complex. The proposed spaces will cater for frontline clinical staff who will use the recommissioned Aikenbury North building next to Newtown Hospital. Bosses hope to boost the number of parking spaces at the site from 30 to 100 over the next 12 months. But Health Watch Worcestershire has raised concerns about where the patients who will use the new services will park. Simon Adams, Chief Operating Officer for the Watchdog, said it's obviously welcome that they're increasing capacity at the site. It means it's much more likely staff will want to work there. But what about the patients? If they're going to expend use at Aikenbrew North, what are they going to provide additional parking for patients, particularly for those that might use this new service? A spokesman for Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust responded to the criticism and explained the planning. This is related to our plan to bring our vacant space in Acrebury North back into use for community health services. We're not in a position to confirm what services will use the site just yet, but in order to accommodate them we need to extend car parking provision. As part of the work, we're going to be considering parking provision is put in place for patients for these services. Hence the plan to explain the existing rough car parking area opposite Charles Hastings Centre by demolishing the old management block and cafe buildings, both of which been, have been redundant for several years. The types of employees that might be able to benefit from the parking spaces included receptionists, therapists and nurses. Some nurses were previously forced to park in residential streets near the hospital after losing their permits due to a shortage of spaces. The Trust provides a range of services covering areas such as mental health, dentistry and sexual health. 
A planning application has been submitted for permission from one of the city council to demolish the buildings and replace them with parking spaces. Okay, Julie's going to start us off now with some letters to the editor. Indefensible. Sir, oh dear, here we go again. This time, courtesy of Brexiteer J. Pogmore, letters November the 10th, who nevertheless and inadvertently manages to demonstrate why his own position is so hard to defend. Firstly, he says that we weren't told that the referendum was merely advisory. There were, though, many millions of us who understood that perfectly. Also, that it was nothing to do with Europe and everything to do with the Prime Minister. Cameron's tactical management of his own Tory party. However, he is correct in that there were many very important things which Brexiteers did fail to tell us, several of them outright lies. Most damningly, however, Mr Pogmore asserts that politicians did not change their view after the result. In fact, many have somewhat dubiously claimed to do just that, including in Worcestershire, around three-quarters of MPs were, still are, Remainers, and what they have been sworn to do is to use their experience and judgement in the best interests of our country. We are not in the desperate situation where MPs and Lords, even more so, are now voting. Oh, that's the wrong way to say it. Sorry. We are now in a desperate situation where MPs and Lords, even more so, are now voting in large numbers against what they actually believe is the best future for the UK. Our sovereignty, Mr Pogmore, is vested in the Queen in Parliament and it's precisely... Sorry, I can't read. Our sovereignty, Mr Pogmore, is vested in the Queen in Parliament and it is precisely the aftermath of the referendum which is doing so much damage to our democracy, which is a representative one, not an advisory referendum-based one. Does anyone believe that we are happier, more confident, more competitive, at ease with itself, country as a result of this unfortunate episode in our history? Can anyone believe that it will get any better. David Barlow, Worcester. Right. OK, my letter's from Peter Nielsen of Worcester. Mm. Sir, it is clear that Francis Lancaster knows nothing about universities, judging by the inane claptrap in his letter, November the 13th. Fed no doubt by the outpourings of the Tory tabloid press, in which he appears to have been marinated over many years, he presumes to know what goes on on peace studies courses. Let me enlighten him. I took a degree in peace studies at the University of Bradford in the early 1980s, and it was made crystal clear to me and my fellow students, who included Jewish people, that we were a university department, not a resource for external campaigning organisations. Had that not been so, the department would have been shut down by the university authorities. That applies to all departments in all universities. One of the requirements of university work is to cite your sources, so perhaps Mr Lancaster could exercise a little academic rigour and inform us of the name of the university department which sets up a project about the experience of migrants after the referendum and labels it the tragedy of Brexit before any research was ever done. Surely not. I could go through on Mr Lancaster's grievances, feeding his hateful agenda, but they all amount to the same thing. 
a triumph of propaganda winning over a receptive mind of fixed prejudices, who, in the absence of evidence to support his grievances, invents some with the help of the Daily Mail et al. Or, to use a new expression of these times, fake news. This is a plea about cats being air gun victims, and it's from Jackie Cuff, who's advocacy and government relations manager of the Cats Protection. In addition to the terrible human deaths and casualties that have been inflicted by indiscriminate use of air weapons, many pets have also been unfortunate victims of air weapons. Cats Protection Air Gun Licensing Petition has already received over 76,000 signatures and we would like to thank all those who've signed the petition. Cats receive life-changing injuries from air guns such as limb amputation or loss of an eye. A 2016 Cats Protection Survey of Vets found that 46% of reported incidents resulted in fatalities. We welcome the government's intention to review the legislation of air weapons licensing. We're asking the government to license its guns in England and Wales, bringing us in line with Northern Ireland and Scotland. Our monitoring shows nearly four cats a week are reported as killed or injured by an air gun in the UK. The actual figure is higher as many remain unreported. We would like to encourage those who haven't signed up to show their support by going to our website cats.org forward slash air gun petition. I'd like to sign that because my cat was shot by a neighbour's son and uh, well it was my daughter's cat actually and he suffered a terrible death. Because oh we, where we lived before, we had the railway line at the bottom, and these boys used to roam around with their guns. Oh. And the cat was found there for day, you know days after it was oh. missing. It's well, a horrible thing. To oh, do, isn't it? tears! Yes. They're quite hopeful now, their mm. rifles. Yes. Not a ringing endorsement. Mm-hmm. Mm. Can we get one? Sir, Christopher Whitehead High School in St John's is planning on erecting a 75-foot bow tower. If it wasn't November, I'd presume the news was an April Fool's joke. It beggars belief. I thought today's young people were only interested in their phones and updating social media. Turns out I was wrong. The thing they love most, campanology. Joking aside, how can anyone think the middle of a residential area is a suitable location for a tower that includes a peel of 12 church bells? Has no one considered how disturbing the constant bell ringing will be? The impact this will have on local people's lives will be huge and the school has failed to acknowledge how it will affect the neighbourhood. The facility is set to be used by school pupils as well as bell ringing enthusiasts from far and wide, meaning the noise will be more than an occasional inconvenience. It will be a constant cacophony. 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 Thank you very much. I think we can all agree that bell ringing is the niche interest, so why does Worcester need this tower when our cathedral already boasts a state-of-the-art ringing training facility? If you are as concerned as me about the proposal... 
please take the time to let the council know. If this goes ahead, we won't even be able to suffer in silence due to the constant ringing of bells in our ears. Objections can be made online at worcester.gov.uk.uk forward slash 629 reference P16C0601. Ted Morrison of Worcester. Okay. Okay, this is from Councillor Louise Stephen from the Worcester Green Party. Sir, two news items caught my eye recently. First, the leaked Paradise Papers revealed that since the 1980s, extremely rich individuals and multinational corporations have avoided paying tax by squirrelling away money in tax havens across the world. Nearly 10% of global wealth is now held offshore by a few individuals, while the rest of us pay for this with public service cuts. According to The Guardian, tax havens deprive the UK of an estimated £18.7 billion tax income each year. Then I hear that 5,000 head teachers have written to the Chancellor challenging the new national funding formula for schools. They say that this has forced schools to increase class sizes, strip away all but basic curriculum and cut support for the most vulnerable children with special needs. They claim that by 2020, the new system will cut real-term budgets by £1.7 billion compared with five years earlier. They are desperately saying more money must be found. So, here is my plea to Philip Hammond ahead of his autumn budget. Plug those tax leaks and give our children the education they deserve. Mm. This is uh, headed Bugs in the Box by Jeff Slade of Tenbury Wells. So, at school in the 60s and 70s, school dinners were always cooked on site and were absolutely delicious. More often than not, both at school and at home, it was common to find a cooked or uncooked slug fly or an unidentified bug which would make me squirm and wretch. <laughs> to date, on our weekly shopping expeditions, I now purposely look for any such insects and creepy crawlies typically, typically found within the organic area as an indication of the product's health and well-being to me and my family. I'm lucky to have an organic box of fruit and veg delivered to our doorstop every week, which is packed with a random selection of commodities. I have observed a slug attached to my cauliflower, little unknown mites on our cabbage, and what I can only describe as some form of grub burrowed deeply within our spuds. (laughs) These days, it really makes me feel good that finding these little arthropods and organisms highlight the fact that I and my ever-expanding family are eating fresh, insecticide and pesticide, repellent-free food. I'm fully aware that cost matters for both for me as a consumer and the need for our and the world farming community to mass-produce on an industrial scale to feed the masses and requires positive or negative bug control. That aside, then we have to consider the footprint, environment and how eco-friendly my collie is. Crikey, this is all too much for me. Now, where did I put my glass of sulfated, plastic, pesticide-ridden and high-sugared bottle of red wine? Mm. 
I forgot that. Yeah. Never used to eat them, but used to find them. <laughs> okay, that's your letters, so we'll go back to some stories now. Qantas keeps firm grip on its trophy. A Worcester company which helps service personnel prepare for life in Civvy Street has won a major national award for the third year running. The forces training team of Qantas Training, based in the Moors, again took the Service Leavers Training Company of the Year Award at the BSI Resettlement Awards held at the Larry Hotel, Manchester. The annual event marks the achievements of Armed Forces Service Leavers who have gone on to achieve extraordinary things in their civilian life. Qantas's role is to ensure these men and women have the necessary skills to make the transition and to support them through the process. Head of the company's forces training team, Amanda Taylor, said, It's all about making a difference. We work hard with each individual and choose courses and then provide market-leading training that will help them in their civilian life. Quanta, along with other West Midlands companies such as Jaguar, Land Rover and Kinetic, is a member of the Corporate Covenant in which each business makes a pledge to support members of the armed forces. Ms Taylor added... This is something Quanta takes very seriously. There is nothing more rewarding than to see our service leavers get the extra training they need and then go on to secure work. Quanta is a well-known within the Ministry of Defence for offering bundles, which is key factor in its year-on-year wins. Ms Taylor explained, We put several courses together into one bundle to help service leavers get the most out of their funding. This might be a project management course bundled together with an APM which brings together the process part of managing projects with the necessary leadership skills to enable processes into organisations. It's all about putting together the right courses that will meet their personal needs at a rate that will best use their enhanced learning credits. These credits are designed to promote lifelong learning among members of the armed forces and we're here to help with the process of using them. Courses are held weekly at the Worcester Training Centre opposite the Swan Theatre and also at MOD bases across the UK and Europe. Good to know that something's being done for... Is it really? Yeah, absolutely. Tributes have been paid to a cycling club stalwart who ran weekly time travels for over 40 years after he died aged 94. Alec Davies, former president of Worcester St John's Cycling Club, died peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on Tuesday, November the 7th. Hundreds of people have shared memories of Mr Davies and paid tribute to him on the club's Facebook page. Rick Allen, a member of the club's committee, said, I don't think he ever owned a car. He went everywhere on a bicycle, although he never competed. He started taking times around 1972 or 1973 and kept doing it until his 94th birthday this year. I've known him to ride out from his home to the start of a race in a gale of wind and pouring with rain to tell us that we can't ride because it's too dangerous. He was such an inspirational person and well loved by many hundreds of people. Rick, age 69, said Mr Davies first became involved in the club after his son David took up bike racing. Mr Davies later became timekeeper at the club's time trials, which take place within a 10-mile radius of Worcester 
every week between April and September. It is thought Mr Davies of Southfield Street, Worcester, took part in up to 1,200 time trials during his stint with the club. His selfless dedication saw him with numerous, sorry, win numerous awards, including the including being chosen as BBC Midlands Unsung Hero in 2015. Mr Allen said he then went to the Sports Personality of the Year event in Belfast. Alec and I went to the event. It was quite an experience. He was talking to AP McCoy, who won the overall award. He also talked with Andy Murray. After the show, there's a reception, and all those that were at the awards just chill out and have a nice time. Mr Davies' funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium off Aswood Road at 10.45am on Thursday, November the 30th. The Worcester St John's Cycling Club was founded in 1888 and is reportedly one of the 10th oldest surviving cycling clubs in the world. It's a little bit disjointed, but a nice story. Mm, lovely, lovely yeah. man, yeah. Yeah. Now I have a picture of the garden in the Arboretum. And it's headed funding for the new garden. Pocket Park funding has helped a group of green-fingered Worcester residents to grow their own crops on a derelict site. After successfully receiving funds, the Arboretum Residents Association has built an edible garden in Westbridge Street Park. City Councillor Joyce Squires said the garden is designed to be enjoyed by everyone, with vegetables and fruit grown as well as flowers, plants and shrubs, so the garden is wildlife friendly too. It's maintained by a group of volunteers who meet every Thursday morning to do what's needed. It's a wonderful community asset and much admired by everyone who passes by, as well as those who live in the Arboretum. Alex Denteith, allotment officer for Worcester City Council, said we have approximately 900 allotment plots currently being worked on over 20 sites across the city. They're very beneficial, both as a form of physical exercise and therapy, as well as for healthy eating and knowing exactly where food comes from and how it is grown. Part of Worcester City Council's vision involves a greater use of existing allotments with a garden project that encourages healthier living. Tony Davies, who owns an allotment in Oldbury Road, St John's, said there are 40 plots around here. I've had my allotment for 28 years. It keeps me young. Nothing is better than homegrown spuds. Councillor Andy Roberts said an arboretum was opened in 1859 as well as fine trees, were pleasure gardens with flower beds, terraces and a pavilion and a fountain. They were open to citizens free of charge one day per week. Another successful garden project is at Gallivaut Park Friends, which formed in 2003. Thank you. War hero was killed on a special RAF mission. The medals of Sergeant Philip Bullock were paraded by his family at Claims Remembrance Service on Sunday to mark the 75th anniversary of his loss over Germany in 1942. 
It has emerged only recently that Sergeant Bullock, formerly of St Anne's Road in Clanes, was killed while on special operations with the RAF. The operations in April 1942 by 218 Squadron to bomb the Skoda Armaments Factory in Czechoslovakia was unique among RAF operations because navigation relied upon Czech parachutists on the ground to guide the aircraft with radar beacons and fires. The Czech agents involved in the RAF mission then went on to assassinate SS General Reinhard Heydrich. Heydrich. Their story highlighted in the 2016 epic film release, Anthropoid. Brought up in Clanes, Philip was educated at the Victoria Institute before signing up as an RAF apprentice as a 15-year-old in 1936. His family had long-standing connections in Worcester. His father, Harold, owned a radio shop and his grandfather, Henry, ran a bicycle shop in St John's. On his mother's side were the Richardson Taylors of St John's and James Airy, formerly Sheriff and Alderman of Worcester during the 1880s. His uncle Fred operated the haulage company out of Northwick and later Coombs Road. After the war, his sister, Betty Charleston, remained an active member of the British Legion. Earlier this year, family members successfully tracked down the actual crash site of the Stirling bomber to the small village of Hufflesheim. I apologise for mispronunciation. In central Germany. New information has now revealed that the RAF's new four-engine bomber was engaged in a fierce dogfight with a German Messerschmitt BF-110 night fighter before crashing. All eight Sterling crew members were killed instantly and are buried together in the Commonwealth War Grave in Riesberg. His parents, Harold and Ethel May Bullock, did not receive final confirmation of his death until 1947. That's a long time. Sergeant Bullock is commemorated on the War Memorial and on an inside plaque at Clanes Church. His nephew Andrew Bullock, now of Ledbury, said, Back in the 60s and 70s, we would join the Clanes Church Parade every November as part of the 8th Worcester Cub Scouts. We would remember all those commemorated, and especially our uncle, but our family didn't really know any details. Only within the last couple of years have we been able to unlock the fascinating story of how the air crew really pushed every limit of their skills and technology and that it was a mission with high political origins involving Stalin and Churchill. Now we know much more of their story and have been able to pull together many key documents including the bad news telegram and the last letter he left behind to his girlfriend Vera in the event of his death. I have tracked down family uh, I've tracked down the family of two crew members but want to try to find relatives of all crew if I can. I tracked down the actual crash site in Germany this year and held a small commemoration there in April. So it seems most fitting to carry that commemoration back to Philip's home in Clanes this November on Remembrance Day, 75 years on. A care home provider has launched a sock collection on World Kindness Day to help the homeless. This was yesterday. Stafford Sanctuary Care's Regent Residential Care Home in St John's decided to help Forgotten Feet, 
a charity providing a free chiropody and podiatry service for the homeless and socially isolated, as well as socks and shoes. The charity was founded by the home's visiting podiatrist Deborah Monk, who in her spare time provides services for free at special clinics, including one which takes place every six weeks at the city's Mags Day Centre, supporting homeless people in Worcester. Staff at Regent in School Road decided that World Kindness Day on Monday this week would be the perfect day to start their own sock collection for Forgotten Feet, which will also be rolled out across Sanctuary Care's eight other homes in Worcester, Malvern, Bromsgrove, Redditch, Droitwich, Pershaw, Upton-upon-Severn and Starport-upon-Severn. Sorry, Starport-on-Severn. Regent's manager, Denise Clark, said, Sanctuary Care's vision is keeping kindness at the heart of our care. So we decided what better way to extend a kindness on such a special day than supporting this amazing charity. Forgotten Feet founder, Ms Monk said, Homeless people, needless to say, are on their feet in all weathers. Sometimes they may not have taken their shoes or socks off for over a month and a lot of them have experienced real self-neglect. Conditions experienced by clients who are primarily homeless but could include those who are socially isolated include severe blisters, calluses, infections, wounds and long nails. After treating someone's feet, forgotten feet will provide them with clean socks and where necessary, replace their shoes. So the charity welcomes new and second-hand socks and footwear so long as they are clean. For more information about forgotten feet or to find out how you could help, email debbymonk at hotmail.com. The charity's website is www.forgottenfeet.uk. This is a piece about a defibrillator. The owners of a defibrillator that was used to help a patient in distress in the centre of Malvern last month have got it back thanks to our sister paper, the Malvern Gazette. The defibrillator is stored in a box on the wall of the Coach House Theatre in Grange Road and on Saturday, October the 21st, it was used after a member of the public collapsed in nearby Church Street. The normal procedure is that the defibrillator used in such an incident is taken away by the ambulance crew, examined and refurbished with a new battery and pads and returned to its owner. But nearly three weeks on, the theatre's deputy manager, Don Denham, contacted the Morven Gazette, worried that it had not returned. And after the Gazette contacted the West Midlands Ambulance Service, it said that the machine would return to the theatres at once and said it would make sure the problem does not happen again. Mr Denham said, we're delighted that it has been used to save a life. We contributed £600 to its cost after a near-fatal incident during a performance at the theatre. It has proved its worth and we're delighted to have it back in case it's needed again. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said they were called out just before 1pm on Saturday, October the 21st, after a patient was reported in distress in Church Street. On arrival, crews discovered a man in cardiac arrest. CPR was already being carried out by bystanders, and they had located and started using a defibrillator. Unfortunately, he's taken longer than we like to get the defibrillator back to the Coach House Theatre, which is regrettable. Due to this incident, the Trust is implementing new arrangements 
to ensure this situation does not happen again. That's this is the pub spy. The conservatory bar in kitchen is a modern venue with bright and fresh decor situated in the heart of Worcester. Quaintly located on Friar Street, this pub provides a pleasant spot for a bite to eat without the sometimes uncomfortable environment of more clucky establishments. I visited on a quiet Monday lunchtime and was greeted by friendly staff who explained to me how the bar and restaurant works. Drinks are ordered at the bar and food is ordered separately at the kitchen, which is called Sampson's. After years serving burgers from his van on the A38 Worcester to Droitwich Road in July this year, Carl Sampson switched his wheels for his base at the conservatory. The atmosphere is light, bright, fresh and cosy, with television screens and casually yet fun music. A pint of Strongbow, cloudy apple cider at £3.75 was my chosen poison and I sat down to enjoy my crisp and cold beverage while studying the menu. But the bar does boast a healthy selection of classic beverages from classic Irish dry stout Guinness to Carling and for those who live on the fruity side of life a large selection of cocktails with frozen daiquiris at £8 and Alderflower Collins a twist on the famous Tom Collins for a reasonable £7 for those who enjoy wine there is a good selection with small glasses from just £3 which is a steal for a city in my opinion the Samson's menu has a good variety of burgers, hot dogs and sandwiches with prices from £7.80, sides or extra costing between £2.45 and £4.95 with sauces for just a pound. After some deliberation I settled on the Philly cheese steak sub with grilled onion, Italian cheese, provolone and American cheese with ballpark mustard which is made in Illinois, USA on a toasted bun costing £9. After about 15 to 20 minutes wait my food arrived. I think this was a little slow but it tasted very good and did not scrimp on the meat which is a common disappointment. I find when eating out which is a common disappointment I find when I'm eating out. The onions and steak were a winning combination and the bread was soft but lightly toasted. I have only one criticism of my sub. The small plate it was presented on meant my roll hanged over the side of the plate and made it difficult to eat with my knife and fork. The waitress came over promptly to check on my food. I asked about desserts and she brought the board for me to look at. I was recommended the Lotus Biscuit Cheesecake costing £4.80 which does sound a little steep but it was totally worth it. I returned to the kitchen towards my dessert and had lively banter with the staff. Guessing I was on a lunch break, my kind waitress went above and beyond, quickly bringing out my dessert to the table whilst I was paying for it at the counter to save me waiting around. The cheesecake was presented lovingly on my plate and it was a good-sized portion for the price. On tasting it, I was so glad I decided to have dessert as it was Moorish. I enjoyed every bite. I will certainly be back for. I will certainly be back for more information. Visit conservatory-worcester.co.uk. Now this is telling life stories as lasting tributes. 
Every night is a, life is a story worth telling. We want to tell those life stories of the Worcester News. That's why we're encouraging our readers to tell us when they lose a loved one so that we can work with them to put together a fitting tribute. We'll send a reporter to meet the family and help you to choose photos from the obituary <coughs> for the obituary so that your memories of that special person <coughs> can be put into words for a tribute article in both the newspapers and on our website. We're not just looking for stories about people who are in the public eye. We want to hear about the so-called ordinary people, the grandparents, parents, spouses, partners, friends and colleagues who made life better for those around them because every life story is a story worth telling. There are no fees involved. We just want to hear about the fascinating people who were special to their friends and family in Worcestershire and we'll make telling their story to us really simple for you. Once the story is published, you can frame the newspaper page as a lasting memorial. If you would like us to put together an obituary, please contact the deputy editor, Michael Purton, via michaelperton.purton at newsquest.co.uk or phone 01905-742-243 and he'll take you through the process. Just a little bit on sport, um, cricket. Moeen is set to play. Moeen Ali is on course to be fit for the start of the Ashes after England head coach Trevor Bayliss confirmed he would play in the final warm-up game before the first test. The Worcestershire all-rounder missed the opening two matches with a side strain which he suffered on his arrival down under two weeks ago. Including the 192 run success over a Cricket Australia 11 in Adelaide. But the 30 year old, who signed a new five year contract with Worcestershire last month, practised in the nets during the ga that game with no ill effects. Bayliss said he would feature in the four day game against a Cricket Australia 11 in Townsville starting tomorrow. The opening test gets underway in Brisbane on November the 23rd. Bailey speaking after the win in Adelaide said, Moeen is fine. He's been bowling and batting in the nets during this match. He thinks he could have played in this match. No concerns there. He will be playing in Townsville. With Ben Stokes absent from the tour and Stephen Finn and Jake Ball injured, Moeen's return to fitness is a welcome slice of good news for England. A Worcestershire swim school has held a fundraiser at an event helping to teach water safety. Puddle Ducks, the Learn to Swim franchise for children, holds three pyjama parties and its most recent Raise Cash for Deaf Direct, which helps deaf children and their families. The company is the largest swim school partner in the Swimming Teachers Association and the Worcester franchise started teaching swimming in January 2011. The firm, which has offices in St Mary's Street, brings fun and effective classes to the little ones in various pools in the region. 
Last year, Puddle Ducks raised an amazing £55,000 nationally, and this year they're hoping to do even better. Kate Adwood from Puddle Ducks in Worcestershire said we're really happy to com- be combining supporting a great cause with our pyjama parties. Puddle Ducks hold a pyjama party three times a year. We have various messages behind it. Being... Oh, this is difficult to read this. Uh, it's... Sorry about that. In controlled environment in a pool, the children learn how to cope with the a situation, so it is unfortunate it happened out there in the real world. They'd be more equipped to deal with it. For class timetables and availability, visit puddleducks.com forward slope Worcestershire dot. And there's a current contact number 01905. Seven four two two eight four. So that a sudden Nadia Davis from Harrison Clark and Rickaby, aiming for certainty from a start point of fear. Much of what I do as a family lawyer is to take people on a journey from a situation where they feel very frightened and often powerless about the future to a point where they are ready for the next step. The people who come to me when faced with a divorce are always worried about their future, even if they instigated the divorce. My job is to make sure that they get the best possible settlement for them and there are many ways of achieving that. One which works very well for many couples who want to keep their relationship constructive is working collaboratively. That brings both parties and their lawyers around the table. Information is discussed openly while we try to find a solution which everybody can live with. It isn't suitable in every case and those involved have to commit to not going to court, but it often resolves issues smoothly and reduces confrontation. It helps people to resolve issues surrounding children as well as finances and keeps everything out in the open. What people often need is reassurance and also some support and in, in interpreting the information they receive. If a client has to deal with reams of complex paperwork and they are not used to dealing with that kind of detail, I can sum up the key points and talk to them about their choices so that they understand and make an informed decision. Information and choices give people the power that they need to shape their own future. If I can give them certainty when they started from a position of fear, that is a real success for them and for me. The headline here is Dessert Bar Plus 18 Jobs Plan, so I quite like the sound of the dessert, to be honest. Um, Transforming a former pub into a rooftop bar could create 18 jobs in the city and there are plans for a dessert restaurant on site too. The owners of City Eatery Hanbo have big plans for the old Toby's Tavern site in Sansom Street in Worcester City Centre. They hope to turn the single-storey building, which sits behind their existing property in Fourgate Street, into a rooftop bar and dessert parlour. Yum! The million pound extension has received a mixed response 
with some residents arguing that the bar will cause disruptive behaviour and excessive noise. Alex Lamb, co-owner of Hambow, aged 25, said, We are very keen to be good neighbours. We are aware that residents living on the other side of the road may have concerns, so we are calling in acoustic engineers to make sure any noise from the rooftop bar is kept to a minimum. Seb Lamb, the other co-owner, aged 28, said, We have commissioned an eye-catching design which we hope will be popular with our customers and people in the city. That's uh, like graffiti all along the wall. Saw them doing that. Um, The reaction to the plans has mostly been very positive. Andrew Jeff, a 56-year-old retiree who lives in the hot market opposite the proposed development, said the project will put lives at risk. He said, I've lived here since 1987 and I've seen the Hopper's Bar and also seen two incarnations of Toby's Tavern. Most people that use this establishment will be parking in the Corn Market car park. They will walk across Sansom Street in large numbers. Traffic down Sansom Street is very quick. After 7pm the traffic gets busier. Sansom Street is in Conservation Area 1. It's full of listed buildings and I feel, as do other residents here, that it's wholly inappropriate for such an industrial style structure. Mr Jeff also thinks the proposed zinc and glass revamp is incongruous with the Victorian buildings in the area. Some people have also complained about the high number of burger bars in the city, while others have warned about the damage that could be caused to the property next to the rooftop bar. The planning application proposes the construction of a bar on the second floor of the adjoining three-storey property. Hanbow, Bayer, whatever it is, plans to demolish a wall in the building to create a walkway onto the rooftop terrace. The Burger Bar currently has 22 employees and the brothers hope to hire another 18 workers as part of the proposed development. The owners added that the application will go before the City Council's planning committee next month. Now, a bit about the Christmas trees. Oh, Christmas trees. Worcester's in the festive spirit, with the city's official Christmas trees now installed. A 30-foot Norway spruce from Solihull was put in place at the Cathedral Roundabout, while a 36-foot tree was installed on the new road Stroke St John's Roundabout. Smaller trees from Lysinton in Morgan will be going up in the city centre and St John's. In the next week, lights will be spread on the trees and the decorations put up across the city in time for the Christmas light switch on, which is scheduled for Thursday, November the 23rd. A city council spokesman said, We're installing this year's all-new Christmas lights overnight during the next week and for the first time we're putting white fairy lights in the trees along the high street, creating an extra magical effect. I haven't got any more little bits. Uh, University in the top four. The University of Worcester has been ranked near the top of the list of the most sustainable universities in the country. The new network of student campaign groups, People in Planet, has placed the university fourth out of the 154 universities in the UK in its University League 2017. This is the fourth consecutive year the university is ranked in the top five 
and this year it has moved up a place from fifth in 2016. The campaigning group looks at all public-funded universities in the country, using public information provided by the universities to assess areas like waste and recycling, sustainable food, energy sources, engagement and education. The top 30 universities receive a first-class degree-style classification. This comes after the university alongside Worcester City Council was recognised nationally for their work to promote sustainability earlier this month. They won two Green Apple Environmental Awards for joint initiatives, one to encourage students to recycle in their houses by providing them with informative recycling bags, and the other, the Go Green Week event, featuring a range of green activities which was held in the city centre in April. Okay, so we've come to the end of this week's newspaper. We hope you've enjoyed it. I want to say thank you to the team, as ever, who have been brilliant. And we'll be back again in a week's time. So thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye.